0: When I look in the mirror, I don't see wrinkles. When I look in the mirror, I see hair on my head, not my shoulder.
1: And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berg and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth. The Fountain of Truth about what? Well, the Fountain of Truth about aging. And we have somebody here who is beginning to live and breathe and think becoming the thought leader on aging in a very interesting lane in a very particular way and from a wonderfully exciting journey of his own that brought him here. His name is Chip Connolly. You probably are already involved with his wisdom well, where he will send you emails that are very inspirational with regard to his thoughts, the thoughts of other leaders in the field of aging. But what you may not know is that from his original background as one of the leaders in tourism and hospitality, somebody who built a business that included 50 boutiques uh, with regard to hospitality and hotels, somebody who you may know as strategy leader for Airbnb, all of which you've used one way or another, uh, led him in his own life to become the strategizer, not of only Airbnb, but of us in our midlife, strategizing a new way to see our future. And he's created the Modern Elder Academy, which I've attended, which I hope you will attend when you hear we whet your appetite with regard to what's going on. It's really a a deep thought process that we're going to go through together today with Chip. So thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you. It's uh, an honor and I love the work you do, so um, I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to this next hour.
1: Now we will talk a little bit about your book and how it changed the thinking of companies and corporations. But let's change our thinking for a minute. Uh, if I were going to say what who who you are, I would say that you're a facilitator for mindful transitions through the mm. mid the, the Modern Elder Academy. That you're a facilitator for mindful transitions, but. Uh, People may not be familiar with MEA. Uh, We we fondly call it MEA. It's Modern Elder Academy. Give us a little bit about that background and what Modern Elder Academy is.
2: Yep. Well, uh, first of all, as you mentioned, I was a boutique hotelier uh, for 24 years as a CEO of Joie de Vivre, the company that I started and based in San Francisco. After I sold it, I joined Airbnb. And that's when this idea of Modern Elder came about. I was in midlife. Um, I had one part of my midlife was terrible. <laughs> I hated it from 45 to 50. I had just everything that could go wrong, did go wrong. And I sort of understood about <laughs> this idea of a midlife crisis. I, I felt like I was going through one, but I didn't really have any tools or, or school to understand, like, how do you make it through the middle of your life, when, middle of your adult life when you feel like, um, the identity you've had is no longer serving you. Um, I was after I sold the company uh, in the during the depth of the Great Recession. I joined the Airbnb, and when I joined, they started calling me the Modern Elder there, and I didn't like that at first because I was like, mm-hmm. "Wait a minute, you know, sure, you're, are you being ageist?" And no, but they said, "Listen, you're 52. I'm 62 now, but for 62 next month." But I was 52 at the time, and the average age of the person and, and the people in my company was 26. So yes, I was twice this, the age of the average person there. And so they were. All they were doing was saying, relatively speaking, you're an elder here. And the reason we ca- are calling you the modern elder is because you're as curious as you are wise. Maybe the the elder of the past was all about wisdom, but the modern elder is someone who is, you know, relevant and not just. They're not just reverent. We don't just revere the elder. We have a uh, modern elder is about rev, uh, relevance and and about being curious. And so. I took that on and I said, you know what, if that's what a modern elder is, I will be that. And I I did that for four years and uh, full time. And then I moved into for three and a half years as a strategic advisor. And it was in that time as the advisor that I started to work on my book, Wisdom Work, the Making of a Modern Elder, uh, down in uh, Baja, southern Baja, about an hour north of Cabo San Lucas in Mexico on a beach. And as I was writing the book, I had a Baja Aja. And uh-huh, was, what? Uh-huh. Ba- yes. a- Baha? uh-huh, uh-huh, exactly, yes. an epiphany. And the epiphany was, why is it that we don't have midlife wisdom schools? Why don't we have a place where people in midlife can come to understand what they're ready to let go of and then what are they excited about next and how can they repurpose the wisdom that they've developed along the way? And, you know, the, the idea... I, I did my research. I'd been on the the board of the Esalen Institute in uh, in Big Sur, California, for ten years, and I'd t- taught there for fifteen years. So I knew something about this space, but I hadn't. I couldn't find any place in the world that had a curriculum that was specific to midlife. And last um, last thought is: there's a there's a word that you know was only was created in 1904 called adolescence. Yes. And once we understood that adolescence was a thing, we offered, you know, public junior high schools and high schools, and we offered uh, all kinds of career counseling. We created, um, you know, uh, child labor laws. Well, there's a new word that's you know popping up in sociology, which is middle essence. and this is what the kind of hormonal and emotional and physical and identity transitions that we often go through. Um, in you know, it's not just forty-five to sixty-five. It, it's pretty much midlife. And, and midlife to me is, you know, it's a stage of life, but it may span from 35 to 75. Uh, but I, I don't think it's, it has to be a specific uh, specific age.
1: No, I think I, that because of longevity, uh, we, get, we are middle-aged longer. We're not older longer, we're middle-aged longer. And I think you've tapped in to this demographic or this psychographic And as we discuss what you do at MEA at the program level, which is a wonderful program, I want to make a point about Chip to the audience and then ask you a question. Um, Chip uh, has been called a karmic capitalist. I've seen some (laughs) wonderful articles about him. He excited the corporate community. He's somebody who gives to charity and has a very rich personal volunteer life, as he even mentioned, just Esalen, but that's scratching the surface. So my point here, Chip, is You didn't just come into the world of being able to facilitate transitions and think about who you are deeply and help others. It was really part of what you did in your business. So when you bring people to MEA, because I've experienced this, what they're really finding is who they are all along. I want to make the point that the epiphanies you have are ones that are being brought from you, not to you. And that's mm-hmm. why they last, because your new life, your new future, your new middle essence is something that was already there all along. It is such an integral part of who you are as what you're doing. Because people might say, Chip Connolly, why didn't he go into the another hospitality business? He's in the same business. He was always mm-hmm. in the inspiration business. He didn't really change <laughs> his business. He just changed his focus. That's what I make. Now, when you were doing the research, I know, because I've read a lot of your work, you really got involved with Maslow and the fundamental need for meaning. So the MEA is a facilitator for helping people find new meaning in a culture that kind of tells them it's time for them to withdraw or start to plan for withdrawal. And that's right. a hard thing to do. So explain how those programs accomplish that because they really do. It's almost magical. Yeah, I mean, I, I, well, first of all, middle essence or this idea that uh, we
2: somehow we as a society have have this perspective that once you get past adolescence, you're just supposed to be an expert in whatever you're doing. You're not supposed to be a beginner. You're supposed to feel like you're you're always getting it right. And you're supposed to compare yourself with everybody else. (laughs) And this is a prescription for unhappiness. Um, And it it has led to, you know, unfortunately the uh, midlife suicide rate is 50 to 60% higher today than it was 20 years ago. So we have a problem in terms of um, public health around the idea of people. Uh, and, and of course we have opioid uh, you know, addiction and a variety of other things as well that are these you know, death by despair that is happening as a result of people feeling maybe a lack of meaning or a lack of belonging. So I think what what we tried to introduce is this idea that um, what if you had the opportunity to create a midlife atrium, to use a phrase from Mary Catherine Bateson. So Mary Catherine Bateson um, was the daughter of uh, Margaret Mead and Gregory Bateson. And she wrote a book called Composing a Further Life. And in the book, she talks about the fact that we have more longevity um, than we've ever had, although in the last few years in the U.S., it has actually gone down a little bit. But if you you look at the last hundred years, though, we've added 30 years, more than 30 years of life um, to the average person in terms of longevity. And so and that's that's, very impressive. But what she says is the way we think of that in terms of people who are older is as if, oh, we've expanded your home. Think of a blueprint of a home. And you now have more square footage with two additional bedrooms in your backyard. And she says that's the that's how we sort of look at it is like you have you are living longer, so that just means you're old longer. Right. And what she said is is that really what we need to think about is what if we looked at it instead as a midlife atrium? So the additional space we have is in the middle of our life. It means midlife is longer. It means we have time for space and reflection and the opportunity to ask life-changing uh com- uh, questions of ourselves, and to, to imagine how we would repurpose ourselves in the second half of our adult life.
1: Yeah, you know, comes... Chip, oh, we have oh, to take a little bit of a oh, break, and I want to oh, go back yeah. to exactly that. Uh, I want okay. to pick up with how would we repurpose ourselves. The work of Bates is so important, uh, and I will make the transition this way. When you finish the MEA course, you get a mindset management certificate. Yeah. Uh, it's It's so much about mindset. That Chip is trying to influence and facilitate. When we come back, we'll go right to that point and show how, through the programs, it really works. So don't you guys go
0: anywhere. all of it, but that doesn't bother me, not even a bit. Cause I am happy and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da, 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 da. You may think that I'm full of it bother me, not even a bit, cause I am happy,
1: and I freely admit, I'm inappropriate for my age. Da, 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 da. And hello, 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 this is Adrian Berg, and this is Generation Bold, the fountain of truth, the fountain of truth about aging. We're speaking today with Chip Conley, I mean, many of you know him, I do have many listeners who are in the world of business, he's one of the icons of business leadership, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about his transition from the corporate world to the world of becoming a facilitator to help us all create a new future and not starting um, in old age and figuring out what's the best way to age well, but starting much younger and figuring out the best way to live well. And he does this in many ways. One of them is the MEA, Modern Elder Academy. I went through it. It was one of the great experiences, and I'm not a novice to self actualization or this sort of thing. I've gone through many programs. This is special. And he is really a facilitator for a transitional period in your life. He's not only helping you uh, transition, but define that period. So that's what we're going back to right now. So, Chip, you were talking about the fact that we should be seeing our new longevity as something that comes in midlife so again we're not older longer we are in midlife longer and what do we do with our time how do we find that mindset that lights us up about this and that's what you're all about so tell us let's go back to what you were saying and then a little mm-hmm. bit about the mea programs yeah well
2: um, well i two quick thoughts here number one is um, i've come to realize that you know midlife is not necessarily a crisis it it is it is a period of time where we're often um, as brene brown calls it we we have a midlife unraveling it's it, you know there's a, to be a ravel is to be something that's very tightly wound and in midlife you start to actually realize okay some of the way i've been living isn't working for me anymore and i actually am ready to let go of that and and there needs to be someone who helps facilitate that process it could be a coach it could be a best friend um, you could do it with a great self-help book but you know doing it in a workshop with 20 other people who are all doing it as well is you know a way to accelerate that process um, so I actually think of midlife as not so much a crisis anymore but it's a chrysalis and when I say chrysalis I think of the caterpillar to butterfly journey the midlife of the caterpillar to the butterfly journey the journey is the chrysalis, that cocoon that the caterpillar has spun, that is dark and gooey inside, and where you liquefy and you come on out on the other side as this repurposed butterfly. And I, I that sounds a little bit elementary and a little bit like a fairy tale. And I'm not saying that necessarily everybody's life is like a colorful butterfly starting at age 55 or 60. But what we do know is that the U-curve of happiness research, which is pretty conclusive, has shown that, frankly, we do bottom out in our happiness uh, as adults between about age 40 and 50, mostly 45 to 50, um, and that with each passing decade, it gets better and better. So the average age of the people who come to MEA is 54. And when we've done surveys with people and asked them how long they think they're going to live to, the average has been 90. So yes. 54 years old is exactly halfway between 18 and 90. So at age 54 you might be only halfway through your adult life but the way we hear about 54 years old in a society that has a lot of ageism built into it is like oh I'm I'm you know I'm I'm going out to pasture now. Yes. But you've only, you you've over only the hill. Happy. You're over the hill you're going out to pasture and and it's like really you're, you have half of your adult life ahead of you still. And so that's part of what we do is we per- partly do give a wake-up call uh, to people to say, you know, do not hang up your um, adventure journey. Um, there's a lot ahead of you. And how do we help facilitate
1: more, you realizing what kind of options you have available to you? Well, you know, part of the program is to light people up. About not so much their aging, but about the stage they're staging, the stage in life that they are, and show them the opportunities. So now this is a hard question, Chip. We are very ageist. You said the magic words. You you turn 50, you get one of those cards from Hallmark. You know, you're over the hill, whatever. Uh, you get the ma- what and you get, you the, get.
2: Magazine from, and the, the magazine from AARP, too. So.
1: Yeah. And, and you know what? Even AARP. Uh, I spoke to one of the leaders in AARP yesterday was on a UN meeting with her. They're trying to fight ageism. They asked me to create a program on how they can explain uh, the excitement about aging. So nobody's immune from this. What's the psychographic of, and, and my audience knows what I mean by that by now, because I talk about it all the time, the way of thinking or the mindset of the people who come to you? It, they must be different from the norm. Or do you help oh, I- out of that issue? Yeah, I think I you know
2: I I think I love the word psychographic by the way. So I and when I think of psychographic I, I often think of adjectives that might define these people. Um first of all from a demographic perspective they it's quite a diverse group of people. Um I was you know, the oldest from- I was the oldest in your group. You're and the oldest was in your cohort. Um yeah, 30- we had people as young as 28 and as old as 88. Um, so it's a it's a it's a wide variety of people. It's a bit more women than men, generally. Um, but people come from all over the world. About 25% of our people are, have been people of color uh, as alumni at this point. So there's there's a diversity there. But in terms of the psychographic adjectives, I think it's people who are curious. Um, they're definitely people who are in transition. They're either in the midst of a transition, or they're considering one, or they just ended one, and they're looking for someone to help facilitate that. So. So curious, but also um, a little bit anticipatory or maybe even a little anxious um, because they don't know how they're going to get through this divorce or through this retirement or through the empty nesting uh, of their children all having left. And now you and your spouse are there and you don't know each other very well. And you don't know if the marriage will last. So there's a, there's a, all kinds of of that as well. Um, but but curiosity and anxious. Um, I would say the psychographic also speaks to someone who has a little bit of adventurous spirit. Uh, if you didn't have an adventurous spirit, you would not fly to Mexico to come do a program like this with strangers. So,
1: with straight Yeah,
2: exactly. So you better be somebody who's open to being vulnerable and and desiring to connect with other people. Um, if you're an extreme introvert or you're somebody who really doesn't like any kind of personal growth work, then it's probably not the right fit. Um, although I we've seen all kinds. I'll never people forget
1: cor- yeah.
2: the corporate attorney from New yeah. York who was just so hard edged and so in the first 24 hours just... resenting that he was there and and then he opened up and he was just like 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 you know if a time-lapse photography rose that just actually blossomed you know you saw this guy and you saw underneath that harsh exterior this beautiful almost boy-like quality of of hope and I would say hopefulness, is, is hope is a quality of the demographic or the psychographic of people right. who come as well.
1: And optimism well, think, to some extent. Anxiety mixed yes, with optimism. Yeah. I will also I, say actually, that yeah, yeah, there was one woman, for three days she owned up that she was going to leave. She was the one who not only opened up the most, but did the most when the whole program was over. Yeah. She's already implemented yeah. 99% of what she had decided she would be doing. So, uh, I do want to make sure that people know how to find you as we go on to our next uh, journey together here on the show. And this is, this is useful. And I want to make my own pitch in this sense. What Chip won't say because it sounds like a negative word is that it is also useful for people who are a little bit lost. Now, Mm -hmm. the people I met with are the most successful. Uh, On paper, people like me, I can send you a resume, but you couldn't carry it, it's so heavy. And the success rate is off the charts, and yet we all acknowledged that we had a need. And so by going and changing the way you think about your own future, you're not acknowledging that you haven't had a successful past. I want to make that very clear. You're going to meet the movers and shakers of the world here, but they all have one great strength. They know when they need something and therefore they go. So, Chip, tell people how to find MEA, and then we will wrap up this session and go on to our next one.
2: So uh, MEA is modernelderacademy.com, um, so you can find our website there. Uh, I have a website, chipconley.com, uh, and and then WisdomWell, which you yes. mentioned. Um, WisdomWell is a daily blog, uh, and if you just Google my name, Chip Conley, and, and WisdomWell, You'll find it. And then if you subscribe, it's free to subscribe. <clears throat> we send you a daily email that's a little microdose of wisdom uh, that is another way to stay in touch with us. And and I, we often go ahead and put those um, microdoses of wisdom, those blog posts on my LinkedIn profile. So you know, you'll find that on LinkedIn as well.
1: So, and everyone should know that you don't have to schlep, as my mom would say, to Baha. There's also online courses and so many rich experiences you can have through MEA. Uh, And we have continued to be friends, bonded with the the 20. And I think everybody who has gone through the program has probably uh, made special connections. When we come back, we're going to talk about something else. Uh, And that is your view of community, the regenerative farm, some of the real forward thinking of futurism, Chip, that you brought actually to the hospitality industry. You're now bringing to what I call the Industry of longevity. Don't go anywhere.
0: Full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Cause I am happy. And I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. da, da, da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit. Cause I am happy. I'm inappropriate
1: for my age. Da, 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 da. Hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian Berger, and this is Generation Bold, the Fountain of Truth, the Fountain of Truth about aging. I have just gotten so caught up with my guest that I forgot to tell you two pieces of business. There are two huge conferences coming up that you're going to want to know about. One of them is called RadFest. Now, this one you have to go to. It happens to be in San Diego, and it's the Life Extension Group that has brought some of the cutting edge and some of the crazy edges of longevity to the fore. And it's a fun couple of days in San Diego. Take a look at it. It's called Radfest, R-A-A-D-F-E-S-T. That's the group that my great friend from Spain, Jose Cordero, will be speaking. He's an immortalist, and his book is the best-selling book in all Spanish-speaking languages. So you can imagine what goes on at that fun fest. All right. The second is very serious. It's the Catalyst Institutes, a metabesity conference. Now that you can go online. I uh, created that conference twice in the last two years during COVID. Helped them and facilitate that conference. It's over four days. It's eighty speakers. These are geroscientists who will deliver the information about longevity in modern languages not in the ancient languages that they usually speak. You'll be able to understand what's going on uh, in your own bodies, in your own future, and in the healthcare and longevity policy of the United States. So that is called Metabesity. And please watch all of our posts so that you will be able to know all the links. Uh, but if you just uh, take a look and Google Metabesity Conference, you'll find that conference. All right. Now, when I'm speaking here with Chip Connolly uh, we are talking about somebody who was took leadership in entrepreneurship, took leadership in the hospitality industry, took leadership in the field of how we're looking at aging. And you would think, well, isn't that enough? No, but no. Now he has to take leadership in the field of community building with something that's so extraordinary and off the charts that you really have to call it futurism. Tell us, Chip, a little bit about not just the regenerative farming and communities, but why you thought that was important, how you even got into that.
2: Sure. I I give a lot of credit to my two co-founders, Jeff Hamui and Christine Sperber. Um, And I know Christine was in your workshop. And they they both really turned me on to the idea of regenerative agriculture and farming. Um, Paul Hawken, who's a, really well-known uh, entrepreneur and environmentalist, uh, had a book come out a year ago called Regeneration, and it became a New York Times bestseller. <clears throat> and he's written a lot about how regeneration is a theme in life, about how we how we bring renewal in life. And we've seen it in religion, and, you know, Easter is like a form of regeneration. Um, and there's all kinds of elements of regeneration in, in our natural world as well. But when we think of people later in life, we often think about retirement communities. And as you know, uh, Adrian, the, the word retirement, the etymology of it is that it means to withdraw into seclusion. Yes. Exactly. And uh, why not instead think of this era of our life as not about withdrawing, but in, in instead regenerating? And so the premise we had was what if we tried to replace retirement communities with regenerative communities built around regenerative farms or ranches um, such that you feel uh, like you get your hands dirty a little bit. And and regenerating the soil is great for climate change. It's in the top 10 reasons, top 10 best ways to solve climate change is regenerative agriculture and farming and ranching. But then also regenerate the community that you're in i mean so many people live next door to a neighbor that they don't even know what if you had just these beautiful regenerative potluck meals once a week with all of your neighbors what if you actually figured out how to invite the local people from the community you're in into into your regenerative community for example maybe you create a uh, we you know what we're doing is we're creating a like a a place like a co-working space where younger people younger entrepreneurs can uh, be mentored by older part, people who live in the regenerative community so that you have intergenerational collaboration, which is another form of regeneration is yes. you know, giving back. It was uh, Eric Erickson, the developmental psychologist who long ago said that the, um, the seventh of eight different life stages, w- the big chal- the big challenge was generativity versus stagnation. And so that spoke to the idea of like, how are we generating things for future generations? Um, And this is why, for example, we've recently created something called generations over dinner, which is just getting launched now, which is the idea of getting five or six or maybe even dare say seven generations at a dinner table together and talking about really important topics about the future. And so this is what we're doing. um, And we're excited about it because our first regenerative community is about two thirds complete in Baja, about a mile from our MEA campus. And um, it's sold out. And now we're looking at regenerative communities here in Santa Fe, New Mexico, because this is where our next two campuses will be.
1: You know, there's such a struggle in the – now I'm speaking to my audience who are professionals, and I got a lot out there. But I think those who are not in the field of aging would be really interested, like little flies on the wall, to hear this. There is such a struggle in the world of assisted living, uh, communities, senior communities, senior housing – senior centers, to rebrand aging. And what they are trying to do, and it's a flop, is not use the word aging or think of a new word, or instead of calling it a senior center, they'll call it Planet 50, which is one of in the the Midwest. Instead of reimagining what you do there. In other words, they're working on the words, but giving the same services and the same environment. Why not lead with a change in the way things are really done and the experiences people will really happen? Uh, and the words will come. And I think this is what, what you're trying to do. Uh, and I will also, I, I will simply say this Joy Lover, Joy Laverde, one of our many guests who's a, a, big, a big shot in the field of caregiving. I asked her the other day, Chip, if you could wave a magic wand, what would a senior community look like? And she said it would look like it would look like we work because we're all yeah. still working. It would be a yeah. place for people to work remotely and continue their skills. And that is you're doing that in Spades. Not only having that for the residents, but making them mentors, giving them mentor opportunities mm-hmm. so that their skills won't be wasted. And it's it's wonderful uh, as a possibility. I'm not surprised it's sold out. Now, when we come back, though. I think we need to talk a little bit about how we can access this and the cost of it. We are right now working on a national policy for longevity. How much of this should have some government subsidies? There are three or four countries that are already doing that for our people, and we will talk about that. We will talk about a little bit more about wisdom and what wisdom means to the midlife modern elder. Don't you guys go anywhere, we'll be right back.
0: I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit, cause I am happy, and I freely admit I'm inappropriate for my age. Da 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 da. da, da. You may think that I'm full of it, but that doesn't bother me not even a bit, cause I am happy. For my age.
1: Da, 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 da. And hello, hello, hello. This is Adrian and This is Generation build the Fountain of Truth. Please follow us. Follow us on our, our, certainly on our LinkedIn. We have a very big LinkedIn presence, about five thousand following us now. Uh, Facebook, where I'm about to do some live events, free of course, uh, and. Uh, We not only do we tweet, but we retweet. And most of the tweets, by the way, the retweets are coming from geroscientists. So if you're interested in the area of longevity of your own body and, you know, biometrics, how you can become uh, a stronger, older person. We're talking about midlife and extending midlife. Well, that's really what we mean. We mean that you're healthier uh, for many more years instead of being in decline for many more years. That's the essence of all of this. Everything, that's baseline is health. So please follow us on all of this. Go to adrienberg.com, Go to contact, ask me a question. We'll, we answer your questions. Uh, and if we can't have the answer, well, we've got experts who know the answer. We've got a real battalion of great experts in the field of aging who can help you out. And don't forget uh, to take a look at Metabesity. Which, is, which you can Google that or you'll find the information on our website, and RADFest, two very different kinds of conferences about your longevity and therefore about your future. All right. so we're speaking today with uh, Chip Connolly. If I say Airbnb, you all know what I'm talking about. But if you say Modern Elder Academy, you may not know that the same strategist behind one is the strategist behind the other. It is a wonderful experience. I have gone through it uh, both online and in person. It's something you're going to want at to least know about. Uh, of course, uh, Chip is also an author of many books, really. But Wisdom Work: The Making of a Modern Elder is most relevant to our discussions today. He has a lot, a lot of books out for entrepreneurs, for corporate uh, leaders, and so on. So, Chip, before we go further, like once again, tell us how to find information on the Modern Elder Academy and where we can find your books.
2: Great. Well, you can find my books anywhere. <laughs> i've right. got five of them um
1: including amazon in and story. all those online purveyors. yeah, yeah.
2: yes exactly and um you, the modern elder academy website is uh, modern elder and um wisdom. my wisdom well blog is you can just google wisdom well and chip conley and you'll find it and it's free it's a free uh daily more you know, usually in the morning email to you, um, with a inspirational wisdom fact or an article or something that just helps you understand how do you cultivate and harvest your wisdom? Uh, and that's, um, and we have, we have Adrian's actually written a guest post and we have guest posts uh, all the time. So if somebody wants to read it and say, Oh man, I like, I like this, um, feel free to to email us. Um, and we can have you uh, have a guest post.
1: And I'm fascinated too with the regenerative communities because the one that's sold out is offshore. It's in Mexico, but new no yep. one's being built are here in the U S in a, in a, one yep. of the meccas of culture, I think Santa Fe, we could say that. Uh, how yeah. does one find out about that? Or is it a little too early?
2: You can actually find out if you, if you just do a Google search for um, regenerative communities and MEA, you'll find it on, on the website there. And, it um, talks a little bit more about what the regenerative communities are. So, yeah, that would be great.
1: So now I'm going to put you through this, and every single guest, go, one way or another, goes through this. It's the money, honey. Uh, as somebody <laughs> who's come from the world of personal finance and law since 1972, all of these advancements, even in health care, even in longevity care, housing, costs money. And so does the MEA. So does a regenerative community. And we will have something that disturbs me, to be honest. And that is the haves and the have-nots of modern elderhood or longevity yes. planning, etc. How do you view this? You're a charitable guy. You sit on boards. You, you, you do crazy things like celebrity pool toss. Don't think I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, to raise <laughs> millions. So you you get what I'm saying you see any public solutions, private solutions, corporate solutions?
2: Well, let me start by saying, because from MEA's perspective, we've wanted to have a socioeconomically diverse group of people. um, We are are very liberal about our financial aid policies. So just coming to a workshop, um, you know, you don't have to come and pay full tuition. You can apply for financial aid and, you know, you, they're basically a scholarship from us, and uh, we, they're personal scholarships. We don't, we don't often. Sometimes we've been activist and resident scholarships that are, means the person comes f- fully for free. Um, so that's at least in our small little way how we can try to make sure that the the, the programming and facilitation that we offer is open to a larger uh, number of people um, economically. But I think from a, from a societal perspective, this is pretty important. Um, you know, the, the number of people who are financially prepared for wh- how we traditionally have looked at retirement is scary, um, and I think that, that 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 means a couple things. Number one is, if people continue to do retirement the way they used to do it, we're in big trouble because not enough people. You know, we Social Security is not enough for most people to live on. And pensions are something that are a thing of the past, unless you work for the government or a huge corporation or certain kinds of nonprofits. Most people don't have a pension. Um, yes, 51, people have had 401k plans and things like that, but you know those, those plans can go up and down just like the stock market. So long story short is, I think what that means is people are adapting their lives in, in a way that suggests that you can't finance a 30 year retirement with a 40 year career and saying, I I'm not going to, my last 30 years of my life, I'm not, I'm not going to be fully retired the way I thought I was going to be. And that means they're going to work. They're going to do, you know, sometimes, you know, Airbnb, our, our fastest growing segment of Airbnb hosts was older hosts. Sure. And that was pr- because it was an, it was a way they had space and they, there was a way to make some money. But I think some of the things we're going to start to see more is things like co-living and co-housing, uh, especially for older people. Um, the idea of living in a household with maybe a four-bedroom home and there's four, four, four single people who are in their 60s and 70s or 80s living together. And I, I it's I think intentional communities will uh, become you know, if you think back to the 1960s. Uh, meditation and yoga were very hippy dippy, but they went mainstream over the last right. fifty years. And intentional communities are still sort of thought of as communes. But they, I think, I think COVID sort of moved us in a direction where people are really purposeful about who they want to live with in community. And I think, I think it's 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 encouraging because what it means is that we can create sort of a, a, a commons, um, and in, in the form of a commons where people are living together we're helping each other. So it's like a declaration of interdependence as opposed to the declaration of independence that has defined the U S for. I love that phrase.
1: I love that phrase.
2: So, so I think, I think these are the kinds of things we're going to see. We're going to see people um, not doing a full retirement like they used to. You're going to see partial retirements and portfolio lives where you make a little bit of money here and there, and then you volunteer there, and then you have some extra time. Yeah, exactly. So there's that, that's already happening, but I think it's going to happen more substantially. We'll have this idea of interdependency in where we live and who we live with. And and yes, I think we're going to start to see not just the government, but I think we'll see uh, companies and especially family offices and nonprofits. We're going to say, how are we going to fund um, an aging populace uh, that is going to live longer? And you know, how do we find ways for giving people not the sense that they're going to be youthful the rest of their life, but that they're going to be useful the rest of their life. And, and they can make a little bit of money by being useful. Uh, So, you know, don't be surprised that, you know, the person checking you in at your hotel who used to be the college student making money on the side might be a 75 year old man who is, uh, you know, recently widowed, who decides that he wants to make, you know, an extra you know, 2000 to $3,000 a month by working, you know, three quarters time in a hotel. I, that's going to happen. And we're going to see more of that. And I think it's, a, it's not a bad thing, it, but it does require us to have an intergenerational conversation that we haven't really had yet because we have a lot of finger pointing amongst the generations. And I think we're going to have to learn how to, you know, create an intergenerational potluck, maybe like a new generational compact.
1: Yes, because if somebody is older and has the job, uh, it is very possible that the younger person will say, well, when are you getting off the the stage already because I want that job or you're taking my job? But I'll I'll make a few very quick points to your point. One is that over 55 communities are now changing all of their contracts to allow you to have a non-family member live with you who's not over 55 uh, if you need that. And it started, believe it or not, in the mobile home communities so that you can mm-hmm. have somebody go in. And that's, just, uh, that's one way of house sharing, let's say, uh, mm-hmm. as well as what you spoke about, which is intentional communities. Uh, the other thing that happened was the government. The SECURE Act changed the uh, date uh, and up the date from 70 and a half to 72, uh, where you don't have to take your money out. Why? Because people mm-hmm. are working longer. So little, little pinches are coming in Mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, And that's why Joy, somebody like Joy Laverde will say, well, we want to we work in our senior centers Mm -hmm. because people are working while they're using senior centers to exercise and all that stuff. So I'm going to finish with this, and I'm going to have you put on the corporate hat for a second. In England, they actually have a policy on longevity. It's a national policy to raise the healthy age of their citizens by five years uh, by 2030. And the um, and one of those things they do, are you ready for this one, is they out-corporations. Com- they out-corporations. And they applaud corporations that are not mm. agents. That are not yeah. agents. They have lists. They have lists, like a John list in the old days. I <laughs> <That> was it. <laughs> Because uh, I, I work with some of the folks on the all parliamentary committee and I call it the John list. I think it's very funny, but the fact is, this reminds me of. the shaming. They're shaming.
2: Yes. Yep.
1: What is the role of corporate America in all of this aging stuff? What do you think the, the role is?
2: Well, the, there's, there's the simple and easy, and then there's the long-term and complex. The simple and easy is that companies need to recognize, and they are starting to see this, That the number one thing their older employees want is the ability to partially retire, the ability to move from five day a week to three day a week and to maybe over time to two days a week. Um, And companies have been very resistant to that historically. The point has been, okay, you work five days a week on Friday uh, and then on Monday, you now are fully retired zero days a week. And what that's led to is, you know, an acceleration of mortality by two years. So people who retire accelerate their mortality by two years. And that's not a good thing for society. Um, and frankly, not good for companies either, because you have all that institutional wisdom um, that walks out the door. And, and about a month later, you realize, oh, my God, we need that person back. So I, I think the, the first thing that companies can do is to to look at their uh, their wisdom workers not their knowledge workers, but their wisdom workers, and realize that these older workers have a lot to, st- to provide um, to the younger people in the organizations. And you don't necessarily want them to just go cold turkey leaving on a Friday and, and no longer having access right. to that. So I think that's that's such a no-brainer that I think companies, it's good for the companies, it's good for the older workers. So that's the first point. Um, the second point is to to look at how do you elevate this idea of wisdom in companies. Um, one of the questions that we asked uh, at Airbnb on our employee satisfaction surveys that was just phenomenally illuminating was mm-hmm. beyond your boss. So basically all the employees in the company would answer this question along with a bunch of other questions. Beyond your boss, who in the company do you look to for advice or wisdom? Interesting. And what it allowed us to do is to create a wisdom heat map in the company so that we could actually say, wow, these are the informal wisdom keepers in the organization. And then how do we elevate those people who so that they can actually have, you know, their wisdom can actually be shared more readily in the organization. So these are some of the things tactically. But on the sort of long-term more complex side, I I do think that there's there's a, a certain responsibility that companies have to their communities in terms of how are we creating spaces for older people to thrive later in life. And whether that's investing in parks and um, I mean, I, you know, I, I think a senior center should be right next to a, a daycare center. Sure. And I think like a, a wealthy or a person school, say, but a, but a yeah, yeah, high or school a college. That's sure. right. And so like, you know, so maybe there's some wealthy person, you know, having lived in the Bay area a long time, I think of like a Mark Benioff who, like who started Salesforce like, There's a Mark Benioff school. So it's the Mark Benioff school is right next to the Mark Benioff senior center. And they are actually connected to each other because there's such synergy available between older people and younger people. And so a company, it's not just a company, but it can, yeah. And it could be named for the sales force. I mean, but it could be a sales or or it could be the founder, the wealthy person. But I think, I think it's that kind of thinking that is the long-term thinking that we need to look at. Um, And, yeah, so I, I I I'm
1: hopeful. Well, I think that's wonderful and I think that we start that you already started yet a new a new thought a new train of thought that could be infused in corporate America because it is our greatest resource and the fact is that the older experienced worker is their greatest resource. So we mm-hmm. have a we have a lot to work on. I thank you so much for this. It's been an incredible conversation. I know that you have to run and I so much appreciate your time. And for everybody listening, and now that COVID's lifted a little bit more in many areas, I'm going to say what I've said before without qualification. Get out there, kids, and make it happen.
0: I'm